eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Wednesday, September 30th. And uh, I cannot believe it. I said it yesterday, end of the month. Oh, my God. Well, put it in the books, kiddos, because uh, we're just going to soldier on. If you've got a financial question, send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. That's our email address. And, you know, we also post a bunch of stuff on our YouTube channel. And I got a message here, a question on our YouTube channel. And it says, hi, Jill, you often mention that companies like Fidelity or Schwab or T. Rowe Price and Vanguard charge rock bottom fees. Then how do they make money? (laughs) It would be nice if you could expand upon this concept on one of your shows. For the average American, it sounds too good to be true. Would be great if you could provide some transparency and context into how these firms are generating revenue. Great question. Okay, first of all, The reason they can have rock bottom fees, generally speaking, is that a lot of their business is based on index funds and index funds are pretty easy to manage. You just buy the stuff that's in an index. Now, there are certain companies like a Vanguard, for example, where they kind of built their whole business on a low fee structure. Other businesses, they may charge more money, but the whole industry has been squeezed on fees. So I think that what you need to understand is one of the ways that they make money is that they have other, they have some funds that do charge more expensive fees. Maybe it's a half a percent a year, whereas maybe the index fund is uh, three basis points a year. So 0.03% a year. So If you stick to the index funds in those firms, they're not making a lot of money. You know where else they make money? Cash. Cash. I know that sounds crazy, but here's the deal. You think about this. Cash is, you know, they, you basically have money in a money market. They get credited a certain amount of money and then they credit you a certain amount of money. And that spread, that differential is kind of risk-free money for them. So they make money on that. So that's generally kind of the the too good to be true. It, it really is true that so many of these funds and fund families have just been suffering from the compression of fees and they've made money in other ways. So there's that. So let's move on. This is from Lisa, who says, you were amazing this morning. I don't know when this was. Oh, I don't know. I must have been on the radio or the TV or something. 
My husband and I are in the sandwich generation. His mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and we have 14 year old twins in high school and an older son who received a full ride to law school. Woo, baby. We had twins late. I'm 53. My husband's 55. We've done a pretty good job of saving for retirement and we have an emergency fund. My husband's role at work is about to be phased out. So he's going to be retiring at the beginning of next year. First question, how do I get over the paralyzing fear of working with a financial advisor who would like me to move my money to his firm? We are not able to pay attention to our financial health and we need help managing so we can retire safely. Also, we're almost finished paying our mortgage. Should we invest in another investment property? There's one close by and it is up for foreclosure and maybe I would turn it into a duplex, have my older son and fiance live in there while he finishes law school. By the way, we are not paying any student loans for ourselves or our older son. I was considered taking equity out of our existing home to purchase the investment property. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks in advance, Lisa. I think that the fear about working with someone is probably well-founded because it's scary to hand over your whole financial life to somebody. So what I would like to suggest is that you take a deep breath and start interviewing some folks. I think that what you want to do is start to interview some people and get a sense of what they're all about. Now, you don't have to do this alone because on our website at jillonmoney.com, you can just click onto the resources. And so if you look at the resource section and you scroll down past uh, a lot of our pandemic stuff, we have the 13 questions to ask when you're ready to hire a financial advisor. So we have some questions that you can ask. The, The idea of Tapping into your primary home's equity to buy investment property. I think that what you're ha- what's happening for you is that you're nervous about investment investing yourself. So you you want this thing, this concrete thing called real estate. And I'm not sure that's the best idea for you. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm very wimpy when it comes to that kind of question. And uh, I would tend to think that you don't want to rob yourself of opportunity in the future. So I don't know. I'm thinking that probably, I I don't know what the balance of all your funds are and how much money you have, but someone can work with you to figure this out. If you want to go look at some fee-only planners in your area, you can go to napfa.org, N-A-P-F-A.org. You can also go to the Certified Financial Planner website, letsmakeaplan.org. So I think there's some options. I don't, I just, I'm a little nervous about the idea of rental real estate. Okay. Hey, here is from another Jill. This is so good. I wrote a few weeks back regarding multiple 401k accounts from previous employers, and you recommended to consolidate and contact you if I had further questions. I hope I'm not pushing my luck, but here's my follow-up question. To recap, I am 51 and preparing for retirement. I currently have a 401b. Hmm. She either has a 403b or a 401k with mass mutual provided by my current employer. I also max out a Roth. That's good. This year, my employer is providing a 50% match of the first 3% that I've contributed in 2019. The matching is discretionary. Last time we got a match was eight years ago. I'm in healthcare. So the CARES Act is the catalyst for this. 
I expect I won't get another match anytime soon. Should I stop contributing to the 403B and fund my own traditional IRA? The only benefit I see with a 403B is that it's pre-tax. If I do continue to contribute, should I continue to max it out as I make more money? If not, should I go with a traditional? Okay, so let's start with number one. You always want to contribute up to the match, okay? Now, my next question is, does the employer have a Roth option within your plan? If so, you could use that. I don't know how much money you make, but I'm just going to, you know, if you make beneath a certain amount of money, I don't know if you're single, I don't know if you're married, but, you know, you may want to consider using a Roth because you may want to pay the tax today. So if you're single and you make less than $124,000, you can use a Roth. And if you have the ability to fund that Roth, I think that would be a great idea for you. But if you make a lot of money, maybe you're partnered and you've got a bunch of money, you can't use a Roth, then sure, you can use it. But I like having some of my money already taxed. And I think tax rates are probably going to go up in the future. So that to me is the number one feature of this. Pay the tax while the taxes are at these levels. Okay, this is from Karen. So Karen followed up with a question. She was uh, wondering about selling um, a mutual fund. They had a lot of gains on it. And they also had a special needs child. And she said that she's very clear that they are working with an estate attorney to figure out the best way to set things up. So that's great. And they have enough money saved for retirement. And they, re they still think they might want to pay the tax. And she said, I think we're going to take your advice to pay the tax and move on, except we might spread the sale of the fund over several years so we don't have to pay the tax all in one year. Good idea, bad idea. I don't know. Look, this is a bet on what's going to happen. So I would say this. I think that at the very least, you know, spreading it over a couple of years is fine. Um, I think that, you know, there's a risk. We know what the capital gains rate is right now, right? We just don't know what it's going to be in the future. So there is some risk, but I don't have a terror. I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, if it makes you feel better, that's fine with me too. I'm glad you're seeing an estate attorney. For anyone listening, there is really a great benefit in talking to somebody who has some expertise in special needs trust. It's a very particular expertise. So I don't want to give that short shrift to the attorneys out there. They do such hard work. It's it's fantastic that they do. So I'm I I want to make sure that, you know, you all realize that that's something that if you need is an important thing to find. Okay. This is from Brad. He says, my wife and I have been building up our emergency savings and I project we're going to have one year of expenses put away by December. Woohoo! Good for you. Right now we have the money in our credit union account, but it seems a waste to have a six figure sum sitting there and not working for us. I plan to move some of it to a low cost brokerage account, but I would like your advice on how much we should keep in the savings account or even in cash for quick access. We max out our 401ks, backdoor Roths, and family health savings accounts. Our only debts are the recently refinanced mortgage and about $18,000 left on a vehicle loan. Should we consider using a portion to pay off the vehicle loan? Thanks for the podcast. I enjoy starting my day with a quick hit of financial advice, Brad. Okay, Brad, here's the thing. Uh, I know everyone's going to complain about this. It's a bummer that I say it, but you know what? Your emergency reserve fund should be in a cash or cash equivalent. How much you keep in cash in your actual bank account should be the amount that is required to waive all the fees. That's that's number one. 
if um, you want to actually have access to the money, it cannot be invested. I mean, yeah, I guess you could have like an ultra short bond fund. That would be it. But it's good. It could fluctuate. An emergency reserve fund is for an emergency. And therefore, you have to be very careful. Now, if you have a surplus, if you have more money than you need, then sure, go pay off the car loan. That's fine with me. But other than that, I, I'm sorry, gang. I am super boring and I know you hate these low rates, but go to depositaccounts.com or go to bankrate.com and go figure out where you can get, you know, squeeze a few more shekels out of your interest. But, you know, don't spend too much time doing it because there are a lot better things you can do with your money to make money, by the way. Okay. Susan says, I have a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, and a non-qualified brokerage account. I've been converting the traditional IRA funds to my Roth over the last several years. I currently have 45% in the traditional IRA, 30% in brokerage, and 25% in the Roth. Should I keep converting my traditional IRA funds into the Roth until it's closer to a third in each type of account, or is another percentage split a better plan? My conversions have all been within my current 12% tax bracket. Is there a thing as too much money in a Roth? No. And I would keep doing it as long as you can stay in that 12% tax bracket. Susan, do it. You're not going to look back and be like, oh, I wish I, I wish I hadn't done that. No, I think it's a good plan. Keep doing it. And I feel very comfortable with you continuing that pace. So as long as you stay in that 12% bracket, keep it going. All right. Well, hey, Mark, it is uh, the end of the hump day for us. No, not for you guys. You got a whole day ahead of you. Sorry about that. We're very excited to talk to you tomorrow on the first day of the fourth quarter. What a year it's been. Oh, my God. Don't get spooked. October can be spooky for lots of reasons. But as always, we like to remind you to wash your hands, to wear your masks, to maintain your physical distancing, and to please try to do something nice for someone else today. We will talk to you tomorrow. If you have a financial question, shoot us a note. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Thanks for listening.